0: We have to stand here and be the voice of the people who are often on the fringes, who are marginalized, and whose accounts of what happened are not taken seriously. That's Nakima Levy-Armstrong. She's a civil rights lawyer in Minneapolis. And that was in 2016, when a prosecutor announced he would not press charges in the police shooting of Jamar Clark. That is part of the problem in this system, when you go up against those who have all of the power. And frankly, we're tired of it. We want to be treated with dignity and respect. We want the system to respect our humanity. We want you and others to realize that Black lives do matter, and we will not rest until we get justice. This is In Front of Our Eyes, and today we're going to talk about the trial over the killing of George Floyd. My name's John Collins. I'm a reporter on the race, class, and communities team at NPR News. And well, for the last few years, I've been covering extensively police misconduct and specifically on-duty police killings of civilians. No justice, no peace! To the no justice, no peace! prosecute the police! If Someone's on Twitter, or if they're you know following this from across the country, they don't really realize what a presence George Floyd is in the city of Minneapolis and what an impact it's had. I mean, it's been a hard year for everyone, but Minneapolis has not only dealt with you know this pandemic, but big protests, riots, arsons. You know, disappearance of law enforcement from the city for days and days. Hey, we're home. We all, who outside? We outside. We, all, we, all, we, all, we all, are outside. We outside who outside. We outside who outside. We outside. Hey, governor, I know you said we had to be at home at eight, but I think it's almost ten o'clock. I think it's almost ten o'clock. There's so many cases that happened before where specifically black men were killed by police officers. He was a black man. He was somebody's son, somebody's uncle, somebody's cousin. He was a man, he was a human being like we are. And it was in the past, often like an attorney described it to me as a like he said, he said sort of situation where um, county attorneys, the prosecutors, would listen to the take of the police officer and the one that really stands out to me was uh, a man named Jamar Clark. Uh, he was a black man. He was shot to death by a white police officer in 2015. And his killing sparked these pretty big protests, including a occupation outside of the police precinct in North Minneapolis. And a lot of these protesters put pressure on the mayor and the county attorney and elected officials because they wanted criminal charges filed, they wanted some sort of accountability. But at that point, charges had never been filed in Minnesota against a police officer for taking someone's life on duty. Um, And the Hennepin County attorney, Mike Freeman, decided in Jamar Clark's killing not to file charges. To repeat, the evidence must show unreasonable conduct by the police, utilizing the perspective of police officers and the use of deadly force was not necessary to protect the officer or the public from a threat of great harm or death. So, when a man named Flando Castile was shot to death during a traffic stop by an officer, the next summer there was already kind of a movement, and there was already like pressure. And in addition, Flando Castile, his girlfriend, turned on her Facebook Live. She caught on video the aftermath of his shooting. And that, like, spread almost immediately all over the place. It was national news, and the pressure really mounted on Ramsey County attorney John Choi to file charges, which became the first charges against the the former officer, Geronimo Yanez, for a Minnesota police officer for taking someone's life. Based upon our thorough and exhaustive review of the facts of this case, it is my conclusion that the use of deadly force by officer Yanez was not justified. Yanez was found not guilty on all counts. In 2019, the first officer who was found guilty for murdering a civilian was named Muhammad Noor. I worked to be good at my job and to bring people together. I tried every day to have compassion for people and their situation in life and hope to make individual lives better. He was convicted for killing Justine Ruschak, who had heard the sounds of someone. She said a woman being assaulted in her alley. She called 911 multiple times, and she waited for the cops to come. Uh, Muhammad Noor was one of the officers in the squad that showed up, and they just drove through the alley, and they are about to leave when she approached the car, and he shot her through the open window and killed her. Uh, And that trial happened in 2019. I do think that there are, like, distinctions between Philando Castile's case, where a black man is the victim, and Justine Ruschek's case, where the victim is a, a white woman who's 40 years old, and the officer in that case was a Somali-American man. Taken a life so tragically goes against all of that. I've lived with this and I'll continue to live with this. I call this tragedy and it is my burden. Now we're at the trial of Derek Chauvin, former officer in the killing of George Floyd. He's charged with second-degree murder, third-degree murder and manslaughter. So when we think about this particular trial i mean it, it's not happening in a vacuum and you know what really stands out in this trial is the judge and the attorney's trying to figure out what impartial even means there was a really interesting case the other day where juror 76 was a black man who he said you know he's quiet he's a military veteran he's a fan of the chicago bulls and He talked extensively about his lived experience as a black man in Minneapolis, in the very neighborhood where George Floyd was killed and how the relationship was with police officers. Being a black man in America, uh, I experienced racism on a day-to-day basis. Okay, Um, how does that, how do you feel that that would affect your uh, ability to be a juror in this case? Uh, not at all. He tells one story that really, really stood out to me about living in near the intersection of Chicago and Thirty Eighth Street. And when someone got shot or someone got arrested, he says Minneapolis police were like known to ride through the neighborhood with the, that Queen song "Another One Bites the Dust" playing out their windows. And essentially, like that, to me exemplifies the relationship of Minneapolis police specifically with the African American community in the city. It's not, I think he described it as harassing, Um, you know, that the police were always harassing people. And he talked extensively about how he could be impartial. He'd been a like juror on another case. He talked about, yeah, obviously I have these experiences. Obviously I have this opinion of Minneapolis police, but I, Understand that like my role as a juror would be to go into that jury room and consider just the evidence in front of me. And he even said he would come back with a not guilty verdict, um, if that's what the evidence and the instructions showed. You see a lot of uh, Black people get killed and no one's held accountable for it. And you wonder why or... What was the decisions? And so with this, maybe I'll be in the room to know why. He wanted to be in the jury room so that he could understand how it is that over and over black men can be killed by police without any sort of accountability. The defense moved to strike this juror and the prosecution protested, but the judge upheld the strike. Say his name y'all! George Floyd! Say his name! 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 George Floyd! If I walked down the street here, like I see George Floyd posters in people's house windows. Businesses have big murals of George Floyd, and this is everywhere in the neighborhood. I mean, you can't get away from it. it. It It's really deep in what people's like daily experience is now. So it was really hard for them to find people who hadn't expressed some sort of opinion, who didn't say something on social media about police brutality or police use of force, which is the, the defense, rightly, as is their right, digs up people's social media and recites it back to them during jury selection. So what I'm trying to say, I guess, is what happened in George Floyd was so pervasive in this community, and it has made such a lasting impact. I can't breathe! 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 People in the neighborhoods didn't really know what to do you know we had people many neighborhoods especially in south and north Minneapolis people planned block patrols because there were no police anywhere and there was huge uncertainty about who was doing some of the arsons and what would happen you we had helicopters in the sky for days and days and days and the weird thing is we're starting to see those helicopters coming back and it's both law enforcement and some TV news, but, you know, it's emblematic of the stress that people feel, especially for people who go downtown and see right now that around the courthouse, around other government buildings, there's tall fences, there's barbed wire, there's concrete barriers that set up. There's National Guard on the streets and all of their armored vehicles And there are going to be police from all over the state for security for this. So I think it's really impossible to understate the mood of uncertainty in Minneapolis right now. And how much people are worried about the verdict and then the response to the verdict. And that it could lead to some of what happened last year again. Essentially, if Derek Chauvin is convicted, it will be a white officer convicted of killing a black man, and it's never happened before, you know, that a white officer was convicted. And I think there's a larger question for people in the community about who in our criminal justice system expects justice and who gets justice. Next time, we'll bring you up to date on what happened in court this week. The NPR Newsroom is covering this trial every single day. Once a week, we'll have a roundup of our coverage, what it means, and what we can expect next. That's every Saturday on In Front of Our Eyes. I'm John Collins. In Front of Our Eyes is hosted by me, Reham Fashir, Nina Moyni, and Brandt Williams, Our producers are Tiffany Hansen, Whitney Jones, and Ryan Lohr. Digital producers Michael Olson and Nancy Yang. Technical director Johnny Vince Evans. Our editor is Phyllis Fletcher. This is American Public Media and NPR News.